one of my uh, earbuds went into my gin, and I think it's I think it's done. It's just such a profound climatological statement. I've got to get some liquid motivation here. I guess I will too then. That probably says a lot about what I think of the human drama of this movie. When you make a monster movie, you never go full Roland Emmerich. You don't do it. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Max and Jason Watch a Movie. I'm Jason. And I'm Max. And today we will be covering Godzilla, King of the Monsters, directed by Michael Doherty, starring Kyle Chandler, Chandler, Vera Farminga, Millie Bobby Brown, Charles Dance, Ken Watanabe, Gigi Zhang, Bradley Whitford, Sally Hawkins, Thomas Mildrich, and Aisha Hines as Colonel Diane Foster. None of these names matter a bit, but we'll get to that. Jason. Yes. Do you have any production notes? Not not too much. I did uh, discover, I mean, this sequel was chosen to be done uh, almost immediately. Legendary Pictures was very eager to have their own kind of uh, shared universe. And um, they they were pretty sure that if, if the 2014 Godzilla, directed by Gareth Edwards, that if it was a hit, that they would go ahead and make a sequel. Now, some evidence that Gareth Edwards was not real keen on that, that he intended for it to be kind of a one and done. Okay. Kind of, kind of a self-contained thing, and, and I think, but he was attached to this for a while, and then they brought in uh, Michael Doherty, who was the 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 second X-Men movie. He was one of the co-writers that worked with Brian Singer for that. He was brought in on this uh, originally, I believe, to write. Uh, Max Bornstein did the initial treatment, and Max Bornstein had worked on both Godzilla from 2014 and uh, Kong Skull Island, both okay. movies that, that we've done. Uh, Michael Doherty and Zach Shee. I guess his writing partner, they they really did most of the heavy lifting on, on most of the story. There was a, a story ideas committee meeting where everybody came up with all these ideas. But basically, this movie was Michael Doherty's uh, baby pretty much from start to finish. You can find quotes on the internet where Michael Doherty kind of had in his mind that this movie would be a little bit different, Yeah, that, that the 2014 Godzilla was uh, a little bit more subtle, and uh, Doherty wanted to really kind of take off, take the gloves off of this one. I, I did actually find a quote where he he kind of felt that uh, he was making aliens okay. to Gareth Edwards' alien. So he wanted it to be more action-packed, more monster fights. He also wanted compelling human drama okay. that would be that would be as interesting as the monster scene. I see. But a lot a lot of work was done to to, to make the creatures look good, you know, in terms of their design, in terms of how they looked. Uh, there was a lot of thought put into that. And it, I kind of got the sense Doherty was was involved in all of that. Well, that's interesting. Jason, what's the film about? What's this film about? What's what's going on? This film, I believe, takes place, I, does it say five years after the events of uh, of the 2014 Godzilla? I think so. I think so. Yeah, so, so, so it's several years later. Uh, the world has changed somewhat in that Monarch has, has gotten considerably more funding, apparently. Yeah, yeah. The basic crux of this film is um, Monarch has continued to study these creatures, which in this film are referred to as titans, yes, which I do not believe was a term used in the previous two. Am no, I no? Am I right in that? You're absolutely right. When the film opens, we kind of immediately meet the characters that we're going to follow through this film. Yes, uh, and they are Doctor 
Mark and Emma Russell, played by Kyle Chan- Chandler and uh, Vera Farmiga. And we kind of open uh, kind of a flashback to the first Godzilla movie. Yes. In which San Francisco is in flames. I mean, this is right after the Battle of San Francisco. And we discover that this family, the Russells, were both in San Francisco. They are the parents of two children, a daughter and a son. And we kind of discover that the son did not survive that day. Yeah. And I think this scene occurs after the credits. Am I right? It's somewhere. It's, it, yeah, it's something like that. It's it's sort of, we get the credits and, and then this scene happens and we get Chandler shouting out for his son. Well, and- the credits are very much in the style of the previous two films. Yes, yes. Um, uh, I mean, which is not really a criticism, but I do think that this monster verse that we have uh, definitely is kind of imitating the James Bond films and just pretty much having the same style of credits for each movie. We have this kind of establishing scene, kind of establishing the, the human drama of the film. Yes. And and so we discover that their son has died, and this sets up the situation where Mark, Mark and Emma are both scientists. They both work for Monarch, we discover later. But when we fast forward into the into the quote-unquote present, Mark is no longer involved with Monarch, yeah. and Emma is. Now, before we go further there, I, I would like to talk about this flashback scene. Do you have any thoughts about it? I have a few problems with it. I, I have more than a few. Go ahead. The thing I like about it is it sets up the very different trajectories of... Oh, I'm sorry. I've got to look up his name here because I never cared. Wait, wait. <laughs> Dr. Dr. Russell, Mark Russell, and Dr. Emma Russell. The, this experience of Godzilla, you know, the loss of their son, is, is interesting in that it does set up these very different divergent paths and approaches to these monsters. Emma has a response, and Mark has a response, and it's radically different. Yes. But the problem I have with it is it sort of recapitulates some of the same kinds of drama we had in the last film. Somebody dies uh, uh, because of these monsters, and it creates some kind of personal conflict both russells have a have a complicated relationship now with the phenomena of godzilla of titans generally but we've we've seen that before we saw that in the last film i'm sorry not the last film which was skull island but it with the initial godzilla movie and that yeah. was that was taken care of in the brian cranston role and his son's role and and we saw it like twice in that because in the beginning the thing that drives brian cranston's characters the thing that motivates brian cranston's character is the death of his wife the thing that will subsequently motivate his son is the death of his father. And and so I was kind of like, ah, well, we've seen that before. I don't know if I need, this feels a little done. What was your reaction to it? See, that's an interesting, I, I, I do not disagree with you there because actually what I'm going to say, if Doherty had followed what I'm going to say, it would have looked like the same film. Yeah. First, I'm going to say something nice about this film. This film does a better job of following the through line of the drama to the end. We talked in the Godzilla podcast about how killing off Brian Cranston's character kind of neutered the human drama of that film. This film does not make that mistake. But one of the things that this film struggles with is giving its drama that it wants to impart to us, giving the actors any impactful scenes to make us feel it. I did not like that little flashback sequence because it it was almost like a hiccup. It was almost like, uh, just so you know, they were there and and everything was in flames and they lost a kid. Okay, next scene. And I really feel like, and this is what I kind of thought, and I never 
have thought that I would use Batman versus Superman as an example of how this should have been done. If you, uh, yeah. If you think of that film with Ben Affleck as Bruce Wayne at, at the very, very beginning of the movie, when he's running through the streets during the battle between Superman and the, the Kryptonian villains. It's a great comparison. It's a similar beat. Yeah. And, and that's something that that film, which I don't particularly like listeners, but that film does do many things well. And that scene is one of them. That scene is, that scene is done very well and it establishes very well what Bruce Wayne's motivation will be for the rest of the movie. And, and, and we're able to kind of follow that. And it's one of the things, there are several things in that movie that kind of act as a life preserver to keep us going in the story. Yeah. This scene should have been that. And I don't think that it is. No. Um, all we see are flames. I, I almost feel like that what this scene needed was a shot in their home. You know, uh, maybe they're getting ready for dinner. At one of them, you know, because they're both working for Monarch, but they're, you know, they're following on TV or something. Or Because, I mean, their kids are with them. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure how you would do this. Why are Monarch scientists in San Francisco with their kids, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, why, why are their kids there? Either they're there because they lived there, although it's established that they live in Boston, or they're there to study the phenomenon. Why'd they bring their kids? You it, see what I'm saying? No, no, it, it, it's, it's a reasonable question. I think what you could argue is that Emma, Dr. Emma Russell, is the most phenomenally irresponsible parent in the history of human science. But And, and there will be further evidence for that. <laughs> evidence of this. But no, you're right. I mean, that's a great question. It's possible that you that they brought their kids to San Francisco because they were there for some other reason. They were tracking a phenomenon that, that they didn't think was going to turn around and end up on the back of their field site, say. I don't know. if you. I think if you're a monarch, you've seen enough of this. You have the evidence of Island, you have an evidence, you have some evidence that, that these things can spin out of control pretty quickly. And the film establishes yeah. that both of them are, are are top, top monarch scientists. Yeah, they yeah. both have they both have instincts that that monarch values and treasures because they both they both have a knack for this, so to speak. They're both very knowledgeable, they have a good instinct for it. Okay, now I don't have a problem with the film, you know, having them there with their kids. Yeah. The problem is look at these questions that we're asking. Yeah. This is never fleshed out. We actually we know that uh we know that both of them feel guilty and angry for the death of their son it would mean more for us if we knew why yes we never really find out why it was a mistake you know what the plan was why they were in downtown san francisco with their children yeah, yeah. when when they would have known that this was about to happen now that doesn't mean that that playing out that way would have been bad in terms of the narrative yeah. but we need to know why we need to know just what it was that got them in that moment so we so that we can kind of just feel more than oh my son died yeah we get we get that yeah but you've got to make the viewer feel it a little bit i actually i i wanted to kind of really linger on this opening scene because this for me this is going to be a theme going forward in this movie well no that's, i mean that's a great point because this film the the writers had no problem with imposing hackish fly by the seat of their writing pants exposition in the dialogue. They will throw in so much just running through the scene. We've got to let the audience know this. How should we do that? Should we do that with just some lines of dialogue? Just quick, throw it away. Just get it. We got to get moving. We got to get to the monster fights. But it doesn't mind doing that. You're right. They could have said something in that dialogue and it would have made sense. It, it would have been really simple to explain why they were there, even as smart as they are, right? Yeah. I mean, in the in the film Godzilla 2014, it was a new phenomenon. They didn't, you know, you don't probably expect, you know, several hundred 
hundred thousand, several thousand ton monsters to get around the globe the way they did, right? Right, right. So, so you could you could have you could have explained it in an interesting way. Yeah, the thing that stuck out to me though, your points are all are absolutely well observed. But I was just like, we've done this before. Why do we need to do it again? No, I and and I and I do agree with you. I mean, let me say this. I I mean, I think this film actually has a story it wants to tell. Yep. And and sticks with it longer than Gareth Edwards stuck with the story in the 2014 Godzilla. Absolutely. However, I think that um, Gareth Edwards kind of ran out of story. Yeah. It's not that it was poorly executed. They just kind of blew it with the story. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. This film is very bad at sticking the landing on yeah. these on these dramatic scenes. Well, before we go further, I want to just say something though that I did really like about the film. This film is populated with nerd heroes. Like, yeah. I was looking at the, I've been looking at the cast and it's uh, it's Dr. Emma Russell, it's Dr. Mark Russell, Dr. Ishiro Serozawa, Dr. Eileen Chen, Dr. Oh, also she has a twin sister, by the way. I, I didn't notice this until just now. Dr. Ling, they're the Mosura okay. scientists. They study Mothra. And in, yeah. that, in the original Mothra, there were these, these miniature people, little twins who could communicate with Mothra. They liaised with Mothra because they, they had this, this like a... Oh. Their, their people had an ability to communicate with the Titans, specifically Mothra in the in the original Toho films uh, of 50s and 60s and 70s. Not in this film, sadly. But the twins, so it's interesting that they do that, but they don't really do much with the twins in this. And they don't do much with what I wanted to see, which was in the Toho films, there is sometimes a relationship, a much more re established relationship between the monsters and the humans. Yeah. They, they interact. I think that they should have went all in on that too in this in the in the in this series which they haven't really done as yet and I, I think that I think if they added a slightly more supernatural element or some supernatural element I don't know what the word would be that would allow a greater connection with the creatures these films would work a lot better yeah that's an interesting perspective I I, I could see that yeah I mean think about the Kong films why are the Kong films so interesting because Kong interacts in a very personal and deep way with humans and and Kong Skull Island gave us a little bit of that too. Exactly, exactly. This film will try that a few times, but it doesn't. It doesn't stick the landing, like you said. But anyway, yeah. I just want to say, man, scientists are the are the heroes in this film for the most part, and I kind of dig that. They're also the villains in some ways too. So hold that thought, audience. The next scene we see though is we see we see we see the 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 altered trajectories of Emma and Mark. Emma, we see her sitting in a sad blue desaturated room before going to work at Monarch. She is also studying the Mothra entity. And her daughter is on site again, this time right at a place where they know the creatures are. Uh, I mean, we do get some a little bit of character exposition because before they go, there's kind of this drama that Madison's been communicating, Madison's the daughter, has been communicating with dad and she yeah. thinks he's doing better. Yeah. Before you go on, I do want to say, I, I, I do want to really shout out to Millie Bobby Brown. Yeah. Is, is really an outstanding performer. She is a natural. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I, I mean, something I was noticing today in this film is that a lot of the acting is just top notch in this movie. I, I don't think the script serves the actors well a lot of the time, but yes, but, but they yes. are really they're really trying, and and I think I think often having fun with the script because it's really all you can have. But they're really giving they're giving the performances their all. They're not nobody's phoning it in, but but it does feel, and I don't know why it should feel this way. Sometimes it feels a little thin the script, and and but the actors are doing great. I think there's nothing nothing wrong with any of the acting in the film no, no I, I and, and I agree with that I agree with that because actually all the scenes that we're going to talk
talk about where I really kind of cringed. Mm -hmm. I was very aware that it was not the acting. It, it was the specific decision of how to direct the scene. Yeah. Continue with what you were saying about uh, bringing Madison to work and the yeah, irresponsibility. Madison is on site with a multi-ton unpredictable organism. I mean, it's a caterpillar at this moment. Still, it's bigger than every life form on Earth. So I would not, having just experienced Godzilla 2014 being in San Francisco on site at the Battle of San Francisco, I wouldn't bring my kids anywhere near a site, especially where I had lost one of them. But but again, Dr. Madison, sorry, Dr. Emma is not a, is not a sensible parent. And we're going to find out how not sensible in a bit. But I mean, I also, I mean, I guess in some ways I also kind of get it. Mosura, Mothra, in, in Japanese, that would be rendered Mosura. They don't have a TH, which I think is a diphthong, but they don't have a TH in Japanese. So it's Mosura, yeah. but the translation is Mothra for English listeners. It's a, it's kind of a beautiful creature that they, they create, create in this film. I mean, I would, I would want my kid to see that, but not after having one crunched by a Muto or a Godzilla foot or a radioactive thunder breath or whatever. So we see them. She's on site. She's still studying these creatures. She still works for Monarch. We see a scene, a vignette of, this is a little later, of what her husband's doing. He's returned to more normal field biology. I get the sense that he's a behavioral ecologist. He studies animals and probably he got roped into Mar to, uh, Monarch because he's an expert in, he's a, zoo he's a zoology expert and he understands yeah. animal behavior. And the other thing that's happening at the same time is while Monarch has become better funded, there does seem to be, so we got the vignette, sorry, we got the vignette of Dr. Mark. We got the vignette of Dr. Emma and her bad parenting. And, uh, and I guess Mark's bad parenting as well, because he hasn't said anything about this. And we see the kind of big questions that are going on about these Titans in the U.S., I guess it's some kind of congressional hearing, where there's some kind of committee hearing with Monarch arguing what they think should be done about the Titans. When this is Dr. Sarazawa and Dr. Vivian Graham, they're trying to articulate a case that the, that, that the Titans are an important part of Earth's ecosystems and kind of important in balancing and maintaining a healthy planet. The military seems to have a, a minor function of just sitting and looking shocked at what the congressperson is saying and what Dr. Sarazawa was saying. And poor David Strathan, who's a great actor, Strathan, and he play, he returns to the movie and, his, uh, and to his role as Admiral William Stenz. And his role is basically like a comedy beat to look back and forth between Sarazawa and the senator or congressperson, I don't know, the representative. And that's his function in this scene. He doesn't yeah. have much to do in this scene, sadly. And the, ba the basic argument, though, is like, should we destroy them? That seems to be the case that the United States government wants to make. Monarch scientists think that that's a bad idea. And the whole time I'm like, this is what I'm thinking. Who the fuck funds Monarch? What the fuck are these? Are these an independent like study group? Are they part of a university? Do they work for the government? They seem to have their own special forces operators. They have the most amazing stealth craft that can house personnel, all personnel aircraft, but that flies in the air. It's, it's almost like they borrowed the design of the flying bomber wing from Red Skull to create their monster watching. My whole thing is like, who is Monarch? And and I mean, it's a minor quibble, but who are they? I didn't get it. Well, I mean, I mean, I see. I I agree with that. I actually one of the things that struck me, and and I will kind of kind of argue with myself at the end of what I'm about to say. But I like how Monarch was portrayed in Godzilla, and especially in Kong Skull Island. In this, where they seem to be like Shield and Marvel, where they just seem to be super funded, as you say, they have their own special ops division. They've got you know the state of the art crafts, and it made me wonder. Okay, well, why are these hearings? taking place nothing has happened for five years yeah why is monarch under 
the mind. I mean, everyone knows these creatures exist. Yes. Right? Well, they know so, some of them exist because it, it comes out later on that Monarch is keeping some secrets. Well, that's true, but not at the beginning of the film. That's true. And, and so so why are these hearings taking place? Now I would kind of back away from that, you know, the you know, just the perpetual argument of spending money that doesn't need to be spent. That's done NASA. So yep. so you know, I'll kind of argue with myself there. But my first reaction was, okay, why is this controversial? I mean, they've been given all this funding and there's been no, uh, and now they can do anything. There's been no other incidents. Why, why are they, why are they so controversial now? I mean, I mean, they were begging for funding back in 1973. Now they've got the funding and people want to pull it. So I, I could probably go either way on that, but I think that what I'm saying kind of speaks to a kind of a greater laziness, narrative laziness of this movie. Well, yeah. That, like to me, the, the, the hearing doesn't make much sense because it's just a d- discussion about what to do with these titans uh, what do you do in a world with these creatures and, i mean that could have been an interesting conversation but it's, it's not very well written the senator is an asshole for reasons that don't make any sense and monarch seems to be in trouble or are they i don't know but like like so during the hearing sarazawa gets a call and he just gets up and leaves the hearing yeah and uh, i mean he doesn't care about i mean sarazawa is an interesting character um he's my favorite character in these films i think is in the godzilla films yeah i wish they would have explored that more too because like he seems to have his own agenda a lot of the time. Yeah, and you see, I, I like that, though. I do, too. I, I like Sarazawa in the first film. One of the things about Sarazawa's character that I, that I kind of like what this film did is I liked the way Sarazawa was kind of following his instincts in the first movie. Yeah. I liked that very much. But I also liked how this movie kind of fleshed... This movie doesn't flesh much out, but it does flesh that out a bit. That Sarazawa's kind of kind of developed his own little personal fate. Yeah. And and I kind of like that. I, I kind of like that the movie didn't just have Ken Watanabe to show up and just say the same kind of lines. Yeah. They do flesh his character out just a, just a little bit. I'll have some complaints in a little bit. I think they do pretty well with his character in this movie. Yeah. I, I like Dr. Mark Russell, too. I think he's kind of an interesting character. I wish they would have done him a little better because, I, I mean, I do like his anger at the creatures. This is one of the ways in which the family drama does kind of work with his character. Uh, and so I guess we'll be arguing with ourselves a lot in the film. But like, you know, when, when they come to get him after the... Uh, so so let me back up. Uh, the reason why Sarazawa leaves the meeting abruptly is because Monarch is attacked. Yeah. We don't exactly know why. Mon- the, the, the Mothra facility is attacked. Mothra's released. All of the security personnel there are killed by this group of men with guns. And Dr. Emma and her daughter, uh, Maddie, are kidnapped. Further justifying our critique of Dr. Emma's parenting. And that's going to get worse, by the way. <laughs> Dr. Emma has developed a device that can in some small way communicate with these creatures she's she and her husband mark understand animal communication and they've developed a way to mimic their signals not really communicate with them but mimic their signals they can imitate the alpha uh, the alpha predator signal why they wanted to do this i'm not entirely sure but it, it is useful i guess in directing these creatures here and there without moving giant masses of nuclear material which does 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 motivate some of these creatures but anyway their Mothra facility is attacked and the two most uh, well the one most brilliant scientist is is kidnapped along with her daughter that's why they have to go get Mark who has washed his hands of this when we find Mark he's studying wolves somewhere in Colorado yeah um and uh and he seems happy he seems like he's he's met he seems happier than he did in the beginning of the movie <laughs> 
And I think this is an interesting scene. And I, I think that the director was trying to say something with it because Mark is observing a pack of alpha predators devouring a, an elk, I'm, I'm thinking is what it is. And Mark has some, in his own way, he's sort of where Sarazawa is. Mark admires the wolves. He's not offended by what they're doing. He's not offended by nature. And I think some of his journey is going to be accepting that what happened to his son wasn't evil. It wasn't on purpose. These creatures didn't intend for any of this to happen. You know, and he's kind of got to find his way to Sarazawa's position, I think. I, yeah. I, I might be getting ahead and audience, you can email us or text me or whatever the fuck you want to do. Tell me if you think I'm wrong, which I'm not. Anyway, Monarch comes and they, they collect Mark, even though they know he's not going to be happy about this. Mark finds out that, that Emma had rebuilt the machine that they destroyed. Um, they didn't think it was a good idea to have around anymore, which I didn't think that made much sense. What did you think of, what did you think of the scene of recruiting Mark back into the Monarch fold? Well, see, I, I think that's one of the other, I don't think a lot of this works. And, and I, I actually, I, I like, I love liked Kyle Chandler consistently in this movie. Yeah. I, I, I really do want to say that. Well, I think once he's in the film, his role actually does a lot of good work for the movie, like, because he understands animals. He, he his whole, is his, his position that we should just destroy them all because that would be the safest thing to do for humanity. But he's not Ahab about it. He's not, he's like, if you want my advice, this is what you do. You leave him alone or you kill him. That seems to be his position. Yeah, yeah. I, I like that. If I was to criticize how these scenes are done, I, I would criticize Michael Dorn I, I think that there's a um, there's a gear shifting problem. So you know th- th- they're in the vessel, and, and he's making I think the case that you're that you're stating. He's kind of arguing with the with the monarch personnel. He's ar- he's arguing with Sarazawa, and I believe isn't this the time where they they actually run into Godzilla briefly? Not just yet, but but that does happen pretty soon because pretty soon. Well, well I, I, so so I'll, I'll just kind of jump to that because yeah, yeah, please do. that's what, because that's what I'm talking about in terms of his. Um, Before you get there, let me just say this. All right, the the, the monarch and him that his wife and his daughter have been kidnapped and that they have this machine that can, con- can control or at least direct these titans. Bad news, that brings Mark back into the fold and they go to the new, to a monarch facility that's top secret that they've even kept hidden from the government apparently because the mystery is that Godzilla's, nobody knows where Godzilla is but Monarch seems to know exactly where he is. Yeah. Cue the scene. Jason, take it away. Uh, the scene I was talking about? Yeah, yeah. They end up running into Godzilla. Godzilla departs the scene and Dr. Russell in Immediately, and this is the problem, I think with this scene, there's a gear shifting problem. Mm-hmm. Dr. Russell goes from, this is all BS, you know, the uh, monarchs, you know, wasting their time, as you say, you, you know, you either kill him or you leave him alone. And he suddenly is like... Uh, Oh, I know exactly where he's going. You know, like his instincts click right into place a little too, a little too easily. I can see where that would happen. He would begin to get excited again. The old instincts would kind of come back. The desire to, to kind of follow nature wherever it goes, because he's still been doing that. Yeah. But there's no conflict at all. Yeah. It's like he, in in the in the blink of an eye, he goes from very conflicted and and still suffering over the you know the loss of his son to jumping right back on board and mapping out where Godzilla's going and to find what's going on and to, and to find the next action scene, basically. Yeah. And it felt to me, I don't know if I want to say hurried yeah. or if I, or, or, or just kind of lazy. I might push back a little bit. I didn't think that, that, that I don't think that this scene was quite there as bad as, as it will be in other scenes. But like in this scene, Godzilla approaches the base and it causes everybody to panic and they arm the, the weapons and stuff like that. And what Mark says is uh, uh, Godzilla starting to ramp up his his uh they can they can track his vitals they can they the monarch has gotten really good at tracking 
Godzilla. They can tell Godzilla's getting agitated, and Mark is like, look, I am all for destroying this creature, but if yeah. this is not a fight you can win, you need to show him that you don't want to fight. Yeah. It's not here where he says he knows where Godzilla is. It's later in the film, but 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 anyway, he, he basically jumps up and you know tells them how to navigate this, this encounter without everybody dying. Because one thing that we'll find in this film is that humanity has no answer for these creatures. Well, that's definitely true. I mean, we saw that in the first film. He tells them to raise their blast shield so the creature can see that they're not a threat. And they get Godzilla to kind of, they don't even get it. He does jump to some conclusions. You're right about that because Godzilla just leaves them. Yeah. Like, oh, he's he's off to Antarctica. Okay, see, that's what I was talking about. You know, I know where he's going. He doesn't say that, though. That's the the team. But, But they know where he's going right away. And then he's like, well, that's great. Let's go. Because that's, okay. that's where he thinks his, uh, his wife and daughter are. And he's right. That nobody likes the idea that Godzilla is going to Antarctica because right. that leads to the great line in the film. One of the better lines, one of the better moments in the film where he's like, well, what's in Antarctica? That's where we get the reveal about Monster Zero. Yes. Which is some nice fan service if you're a Godzilla fan. Right, yeah, um, that's true. Monster Zero is, of course, Ghidorah. And I like that, I like that. Um, we didn't get the aliens that sometimes controlled Ghidorah. Then they're off to Antarctica and we get a few little bits of throwaway expedition about like i'm telling you man they're moving through the hollow earth which really chapped my ass every time i heard that shit cut to antarctica where the terrorists have got dr madeline uh, sorry dr emma and her daughter and they're gonna unleash uh, another great beast another alpha yeah yeah so and if i'm not mistaken they they kind of arrive right when that's about to happen oh and, and you know and we didn't say the the device that uh, dr emma russell and has recreated is called the orca yes it is. Uh, yeah, which is named either after the the ship from Jaws or the the Richard Harris movie about the uh, killer whale. There, there's some obscure fan service in this movie. <laughs> So, I mean, if it was the Richard Harris movie, I will definitely buy the director a beer. Not that that's a good movie, but... No, no. So, Dr. Emma is about finished up with this reawakening of the Monster Zero, which she dubbed. And it, for some reason, it's in a big glacier, and uh, they've put heated charges on it in the glacier, and they're going to blow it out of the ice. And this is where we get this uh, little rescue effort from Monarch. Their special forces team going, they try and save Madeline and Emma. They have a trap laid on them. Their tactics aren't good and most a lot of them get killed in this moment what we're going to find is that the monarch special forces are not the most capable of operators no they're not and uh Ghidorah is released and this some of the scenes of monster action and human action are not great i i would agree with you i would yes we're going to see some compelling human action here though where the leader of this terrorist group we're going to find out we found out earlier sorry we didn't mention this the is an eco-terrorist played by charles dance which i was kind of saddened by because i like charles dance a lot i really wanted him to be a good guy in this movie i don't think he gets to be a good guy enough folks you've seen him in uh, game of thrones but he's been in he's been in everything i mean he's been in so many movies the the eco-terrorist and he's quite good in this movie by the way charles dance would you agree with that i think everybody's good in this movie good point um however i do think that the eco-terrorists in this movie are kind of just pawns of the plot they don't they don't really have a lot of agency of their own charles dance is very good he's got some nice interactions with emma later yeah in which he questions why she got involved in this in the first place yeah because i i think we find out that uh she called them yeah yeah she she made this choice and and these it's in this scene where we get the reveal that it's her which i which i did not ruin because because this is not done well 
in my view. I, I don't think this is done well. So, so we get the reveal. There's this showdown between the eco-terrorists and the, the monarch special forces. And Mark calls out to his daughter. And it's in that moment that we discover that Madison and Emma are absolutely with the eco-terrorists, that they want to release Monster Zero. We don't know why yet. But I got to tell you, when that moment happened, I I felt nothing. I, I did not feel it was very well executed. And and, and let me give you, you know, explain or give some background. We live in an era where you know everyone binges television shows yeah, yeah. and all and there are and there are tons of television shows that love to have these shocking moments that leave the viewer gaping and saying oh my god yes yes what just happened this kind of thing i i don't think this scene delivers the goods okay emma's behavior was weird enough up to this point mm-hmm. that um i didn't think she was necessarily a prisoner but i didn't necessarily think she was a traitor i was more puzzled by her yeah. than anything else so that when that moment comes, I think that Doherty intended for that to be an oh shit moment. Yeah, yeah. You know, kind of this moment like, oh my God, she was with them all along, you know, you know, kind of like almost um, Captain America, the Winter Soldier kind of moment where, you yeah. know, where, you know, S.H.I.E.L.D., they were the bad guys all along kind of thing. Yeah. This did not really work for me. Uh, it's not that it's bad. It's not that it's poorly acted. Yeah. It's poorly set up. It's another moment that doesn't, that, that it's a great idea, but it's not set up. It's not earned and they do not stick the landing. Now, for me, I'm going to be a little easier on this. I grant a lot of your criticisms of it, but one of the things that sells it for me a little bit is because of the reactions of the people who know her. There's one of the Monarch Special Forces guy, uh, guys, it's not a guy actually, it's a it's a, it's a woman, and she's getting ready to take a shot on Charles Dance, the major, the leader of the eco-terrorists, when Dr. Emma picks up the detonator that's going to release Ghidorah, and she's like, what's going on? The, the, uh, the, the Special Forces operator says, the same uh, at the same time her her husband dr mark russell is seeing this happen and it's their reactions that sell it for me their shock is what i think works for me in that scene which i kind of like i, I wouldn't say that madeline is with the eco-terrorists i would say madeline is with her mom and her mom is with the eco-terrorists because madeline i don't think hey i don't want to put too much on her she's a young kid right who her mom has now embroiled in dangerous research and now treasonous activity <laughs> You know, her mom is uniquely terrible. She went to like the Cobra, the Cobra Commander School of Parenting. I don't, I don't, I don't exactly know what the fuck she was thinking. Now her mom is in, involved her in this dangerous shit again. It's even worse now, I think. Dr. Emma hits the detonator. Ghidra is freed. And then we have this really frantic, but not very well shot escape of the yeah. monarch soldiers and the eco-terrorists. And it's like this twin elevator scene. And yeah. that's not too well done. I agree. And none of the running around with Ghidorah that will happen when everybody gets to the surface of Antarctica will be very well blocked, I don't think. Because this is the same problem I actually had with the movie Transformers the movie. There's a, there are these moments where we'll see uh, Shia LaBeouf running around with the Rubik's Cube, whatever the fuck it was that he was carrying in that movie. And the robots will be fighting behind them, but all we'll see is their knees. Well, how uninteresting is that? Pretty uninteresting, as it turns out. <laughs> we get a lot of that kind of shot in, in this film with, with with Ghidra misbehaving in Antarctica, it's not I don't it's not compelling to me. Like I'm in complete agreement. And and actually I don't think the effects necessarily look that great okay. in this scene. And I kind of feel like that that's the reason why some of the problems that you're illustrating happen. Like so they're going up in the elevator, and I felt like that that should have been a very gripping, yeah. suspenseful scene, and it wasn't. No. It's just they're trying to go up in this elevator and say, oh, oh God, you know, are they gonna make it? Oh, they did. Like, there's no... 
exactly. Right? There's, there's, there's no moment. suspense at all. Well, there's no, because there's a moment where giant hunks of ice are falling on every fucking thing. Dr. Mark is, is with his fucking uh, Beretta 92, is about to go up and, and challenge these terrorists, and he sees some of the Monarch operators, and he decides to, instead of continuing the elevator race up to the top, he descends and picks up the Monarch people, and then they go back up, and you think, okay, well now, I mean, this is more dangerous, like you just said, because it's even less stable now than it was. We should have gotten right. like, oh God, are we going to make it? But instead what happens is, it seems that despite the fact that he went back down after having been halfway up and that the mon- the, the eco-terrorists probably should have been up already and on the surface, so after the Monarch team runs into the elevator and the elevator door closes, they, they hit the button to go up and the next scene is everybody on the surface at the same time running to their separate planes. Now, they don't quite get there because it, it is the case that the, the eco-terrorists are going to set off the orca and agitate Monster Zero. Some of that works, but like it's, it's p- kind of poorly lit, this action scene we don't really get a sense of the we don't get a sense of the landscape we don't get a sense of how the heroes are moving or even how the villains are moving through the scene we've seen this kind of thing done so much better so many different places these 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 interactions between people and giant creatures can be done much better this is a visually a mess you just mentioned some um uh, films that achieve greatness you don't have to go past the first film in this series yeah it's true i think i fight my criticisms of the of the uh the digital photography in Godzilla 2014 that had more to do with the fact that I it didn't feel like San Francisco to me if you if you recall yeah, yeah, yeah. I never felt like that the the interactions between monsters and humans were not sublimely terrifying yeah this movie drops the ball on that pretty consistently it's I true think. and the actors are trying very hard but just the the monster motion and the human motion aren't married very well one of the characters that we've kind of come to like a lot uh, Vivian Dr Vivian Graham she it in this scene. You almost miss it. They're running, they're trying to get to their uh, uh, aircraft that's going to lift them up and away from this nightmare of a fight. There's been a little fracas between Godzilla's popped up, by the way, and he's had a little fight with the with Ghidorah. It's pretty brief, but as Dr. Russell and Dr. Vivian are running to get to Sarazawa and the rest of the Monarch team, something happens in front of Mark, but it doesn't register that, it didn't register to me right away that one of Ghidorah's mouths had zipped down and bit and eaten Dr. Vivian. I actually had to rewind it to see what happened. Was that part of the lighting problem that you're talking about? I think so, but also just part of the framing. Like, uh, I mean, it would have been a hard thing to do, but like that might've been a shot where you pull the camera back. So you see the monster's head into the frame. But I mean, like, I mean, you just can't see enough of his skull to see what just happened. It looks like a, it looked a little bit like a hunk of ice had fallen on her. Right. As opposed to the, to part of the creature. But it's because they're so big, I think anyway. It was like, what happened? And I rewind it and I said oh and then then you watch the scene and you kind of get an idea okay one of the Gita's heads went down bit her for some reason why would any of these giant creatures even think that that looked like a an appetizing thing right it is literally like you or me like seeing an ant walk across our desk and like us deciding to work that looks like it might be fun to eat it's not even (laughs) worth our time it is true that some of these people had shot at Ghidorah and maybe it was just taking it out on them that would have been that could have been something that that they might have explained or or demonstrated 
a little bit more with the digital acting of the creature. The heads have a little fight over the morsel. Look, if one of Geter's heads bites somebody, a human, that's it. There's no morsel to fight over. Right. And so I thought that was a little silly. It could have been a great moment of emotional punch and Chandler and Watanabe do their best to make that moment hurt the audience. Yeah. It doesn't really work. No, because also they barely escape, right? They only escape because Dr. Emma changes the orca signal to get it to not attack the people on the ground. They tr She turns off the alpha wave or something like that so it doesn't think it's fighting other alpha monsters. The alpha signal is like, a, in biology, what we might call a super stimulus, uh, like yeah. uh, it's a very little thing that you wouldn't think would agitate an animal, but it is, will set an animal off. The super stimulus is, is the key to affecting animal behavior in some in some creatures. But but basically the eco-terrorists save Monarch, but just because Emma had a vested interest in, in, in them, or it might've been Madeline. Madeline might've been the one who stopped it. You mean Madison? Whatever. These people's names don't matter. <laughs> um, uh, Billy Bobby Brown, or is that her name? Millie Bobby Brown. Yeah. She's the one who saves them, I think, in that scene. I could be wrong. Oh, sorry. Let me back up. Godzilla and Ghidorah are having a fight. Godzilla seems to be holding his own. Military comes in. They zip uh, Ghidorah with a few missiles and Ghidorah bails. Yeah. And then it's Monarch tracking Godzilla again. Yeah. Because it's not, there's a giant storm system that starts moving across the surface of the earth after this happens. It isn't until middle of the third act when somebody says, I wonder if Monster Zero is in that storm system that is unnatural and just popped up after this creature appeared on the planet. But they follow Godzilla. Godzilla around because I think Godzilla is going to follow Monster Zero around. We probably need to talk about Dr. Emma Russell and the the shocking, shocking revelation of, of her motivation because she sends the message to Monarch about and revealing her plan. The reveal. Yeah, in which, you know, that she's, she's pretty much decided that nature needs to kind of reclaim the world and that these titans uh, need to be released so that because the world will be a better place. Yeah. Now see, I liked that. Yep. I liked that. I don't think it's well executed. I think that a better movie, excuse me, a better script would have laid out her motivation in such a way that we might be mad at her, but we would understand it. Yes. We would we would get it. I don't get it. The other thing too is I would have liked for her to to say some things that were more convincing uh, and that laid out her understanding of the creatures because the, because there's a reveal that's going to happen really shortly when we find out that she doesn't understand the systems that she's dealing with very well. Her husband tries to warn her about this. We're supposed to get from her that she has this she has this idea about what the Titans do, what the Titans are, how they behave, how she, she thinks that she's playing a, a good gamble here. She's not like her eco-terrorist buddy who does not give a fuck what happens when they're released. He doesn't care. Yeah. He doesn't like, there's a, he has a, Charles Dance has one of the best lines in the movie and it could have been a great key to understanding his real motivation because mm -hmm. there's a moment where he's like I've spent my life traveling the globe killing people at the behest of governments this is who we are it doesn't get any better yeah. when when she reveals to him later on that she has misunderstood everything completely he doesn't care because yeah. she she realizes that basically she set in motion the end of humanity yeah. uh, and, and he's like that's fine I mean basically that's what Charles Dance's character says I'm, let me see what his character's name is so 
when audiences go rush to see this movie after listening to this podcast. Uh, Alan Jonah. He really doesn't like humans at all. Yeah. And, and that could have been so interesting. He's a good character. Absolutely. Unfor unfortunately, you and I and anybody else watching this film care more about his, are more interested in his character than this film is. Yes. That could be said about almost every character in this film. <laughs> <laughs> Including the monsters. Yeah. 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 Which is kind of a perennial disappointment to me. Emma calls Monarch. Jason, take it away. Yeah, Emma calls Monarch and presses to all of them that what it is that she's trying to do, she's trying to make things right by releasing all these Titans. Because for the moment, she and Alan Jonah have the same the same belief, the same motivation. As you as you stated, she she kind of turns back on that and has doubts later. Yeah. But she kind of reveals that she's working against humanity and that her motivation is all, also involves the death of the Russell's son, yeah, yeah. which is Madison's brother. I get that. I can see where that would, would work, but the film is just so lazy and just does not really make her motivation believable. I do not follow the line from my son died and humanity must be destroyed. Well, not humanity must be destroyed. It's not even, it's not even That's not her motivation. That's right. I mean, the release of the Titans because the world will be a better place. Yes. Because, I mean, she, she does not want humanity to be destroyed, but she does think that the world would be better if the Titans were the ones that roamed free. I'm yeah. stated in her hypothesis, though, is basically that um, by releasing all these Titans, that it definitely will put humanity at some risk, and maybe, maybe billions could die. She has yeah. read a couple of papers by Thanos on population, uh, overpopulation, <laughs> and she found some things compelling in those Malthusian arguments. Jason, Jason has erupted in his silent laughter, audience. Um, I hope you've erupted in a laughter, but but, but but you're right. There, the connection from her son didn't die because of any of the things that she says motivated her. It's not climate change. It's not pollution. None of those things happened. Basically, what happened to her son is analogous to a hurricane hitting their house. That's yes. what, it doesn't seem to be like you said an easy line from my son died to I've joined eco terrorists. And again, we're not reviewing bad. Batman versus Superman right now. God, wouldn't that be fun? But think about how in that movie, Bruce Wayne's motivation and his doubts about Superman are manifestly clear to us, even if we don't agree with it. And sometimes we do. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes we do. But but that's something that the viewer can kind of play with. Is Bruce totally right? Oh, maybe he's got a point. I can see why he's doing what he's doing. Maybe it's a mistake, but I get it. I don't think this movie sells. I No, I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. And I think Think that for this plot line to work, they have to sell it, and it doesn't quite land. Yes, yes. And there are probably ways that this could have landed. We could probably write some between the lines ideas if we wanted to essay a few of those. But we shouldn't have to work that hard as the audience. Yeah, I shouldn't have to be doing a ton of narrative work while watching the film to make her plot line sing. Charles Dance's character is so his motivation is so much better than hers. He's had it. He's yeah. fed up with humanity. That's why he's doing. Doing what he's doing now some of the friction between she and her husband in the scene is pretty pretty well acted. i mean it was all well acted she does her best with this dialogue yeah, no i agree i agree she's actually really good in this scene as is chandler for me for the scene to have worked some of the scientists in monarch should have looked doubtful of where they were should i okay. be in the room with dr emma and not here that's right. how good her case needed to be i totally agree that does not work 
it just doesn't work. What, what comes next after that? Does, is this where Chandler gets on board and decides, well, we really need to help Godzilla out? Rodan oh, first. Sorry. The next mission is to awaken Rodan, who lives in a volcano, I believe, or is sleeping which, in a volcano. Which is actually which is accurate to the to the Toho okay to the Toho canon. Uh, one of the things I want to give this movie a lot of credit for, which I didn't think Skull Island did, um, uh, and I didn't think that Godzilla 2014 did, which is to use a lot of the original Toho music. The Godzilla theme is all over this movie. The Rodan theme is on this, on this, the King of the Monsters theme. Mothra as well, I believe. Yes, yes, absolutely. And it's, they're, they're tweaked for modern audiences, but I really liked that as a fan. I think that there's a nice, subtle fan service that isn't leaning into nostalgia, but it's, it's there. It sounds good even if you're not a fan of the Toho era films, but, but it's, but it is a really nice touch. But let's linger here for a minute. Uh, Bear McCreary did the score. Now would be as good a time as any to actually talk about that a little bit because I, I read about how there was a lot of utilizing that material mm-hmm. from the Japanese composer whose name I don't have in front of me I apologize for that but the incorporation of that the use of very heavy sounds and percussion and so forth I will say this about the legendary monsterverse the music's great it is all three movies the, the, the music is really 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 top notch I agree Ifukube is the name of the composer I have to listen to this song a lot because it is one of my son's favorite favorite pieces of music uh audience jason join me for a second here copyright will stop right there this movie plays with that score which is the original yes. for Godzilla score they go to the source material for Rodan for Mothra for King of the Monsters uh, but go ahead you were you were listening to the composer of this film one of the things that he wanted to do is he wanted to to give a lot of credit to, to the source material I I, I actually I, I didn't recognize his name uh, he actually has done uh, some a lot of television music he did Battlestar Galactica the sci-fi channel uh, reboot which had a lot of choral music in it and this score also has a lot of choral music. There's a lot of vocal music in this that works very well. I I I I think the score is really 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 good. I well, I I give uh, I give him a lot of credit for what he did. Well, audience, I was running into some audio problems. My volume cut out uh, pretty badly. Uh, I ended up asking Jason a question about whether or not this director leaned too heavily into nostalgia for this piece. And here's his answer. I, I actually wrestled with that a little bit. I, I went back and forth with it because so much of it does match up with Gareth Edwards' 2014 film, which really, I think, does succeed in bringing Godzilla into the into kind of a modern kind of sci, uh, you know, sci-fi element. This film follows that, and, and that needs to be said. I'm tempted to say that the fan service is appropriate. 
appropriate. Okay, no, I, I think that's fair. I mean, I, I don't have an I don't have an opinion because like you, I, I vacillated back and forth. Um, one of the things that I do think this film does fairly well, the Rodan reveal. Yes. Is amazing. I, I like this a lot. Yeah. And uh, and for some reason, I'll be honest. Uh, when I was a kid, Rodan made me more uneasy than any of the other creatures on. I don't know why, but but Rodan scared me in a way that Godzilla didn't scare me, in a way King Kong didn't scare me, in a way that Ghidorah didn't scare me. Something about emerging out of the toxic fumes of a volcano, I don't know, made me think that Rodan was really dangerous and unpredictable, which, which in fact, in the film, Rodan was. <laughs> but Rodan emerging out of the volcano and then wrecking Monarch is a great, great scene in this film. I, I found it to almost be like a horror component of this film. I just thought it was really good. Rodan coming from the volcano seems to kind of incinerate people that he flies over. Well, yeah, there, there seems to be magma dripping from Rodan. And when Rodan leaves this poor Mexican city, it's almost like a nuclear bomb has gone off. It's very frightening. I kind of didn't expect that. I didn't. Yeah. Now, as a fan, in the early Toho films, these creatures were more like forces of nature. They weren't good. They weren't bad. They just existed. And in their existing, they destroyed humanity. Right? Right. They don't care. They don't, they're not hunting people. They don't give a mm -hmm. shit. They're basically biological equivalents of hurricanes, of earthquakes, whatever. And, well, and, 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 and this film does do that in, in, in most places, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that the, the legendary monsterverse does a pretty good job of depicting that uh, with some of the creatures. The Rodan scenes, I, I just thought were really just kind of frightening. And, and just the Rodan scenes are dynamic in a way that not a lot of the other monster scenes in this movie are dynamic. I would agree with that. They're well shot. They're well composed. It is very good at depicting the human reaction to Rodan and having these reactions happen in frame in yeah. a way that the, the opening scene with Ghidorah is not good because it's all too right. close to the humans. And if you're too close to the humans, you cannot see these monsters. You know, you yeah. see five scales on Ghidorah's left knee and that's not compelling film. But right. this film was very good at showing how agile this creature was and how how alive it was. I I... I mean, I don't know, like, I could watch that scene over and over again. And I really thought, again, the acting is really compelling in this movie. Well, this is this is hard green screen acting. Yeah, yeah. These people have to react to a green screen of the of this creature flying above and below and, and doing all this crazy dynamic shit. Uh, Monarch is trying to pull Rodan away from Mexico City. Or right. Whatever, and get it away from these people. It doesn't help because Rodan's ba uh, leaving a city basically takes the city out to the ocean with Rodan because of the wash of its wings. It's a good try. It's valiant. But in this moment, Ghidra comes out, beats the shit out of Rodan, basically turns Rodan into a deputy. But then Godzilla pops up. Godzilla has been laying plans. Godzilla has been scheming. Godzilla emerges because sadly for Ghidorah, Ghidorah is close to the ocean. And this is probably the worst place for Ghidorah to fight Godzilla. Yeah. Ghidorah uh, emits some kind of laser breath audience. It just is the way it is. Laser breath is what happens with Ghidorah. Actually, it's lightning breath. It still is just the way it is. Sorry about that. Well, I mean, the film does. I, I don't they say later that that uh, Ghidorah is not from Earth and is a invasive <laughs> species. This is a nice moment. But but uh, I wish we would have seen Sarazawa and Dr. Mark and Vivian and Dr. Ling or Dr. Chin. I can't remember who's with them in that moment. One of the twins. I wish they would have started laying the groundwork for giving the audience some inkling that Ghidorah was an anomaly. Yeah. And some inkling that Godzilla was the only creature that could stop it. Because Godzilla comes up out of the ocean and starts whooping the shit out of Ghidorah. Bites off one of Ghidorah's heads. Godzilla is a 
about to end the the trouble. He's about to reestablish the fact that he he gets to piss on all the the, the, yeah, the yeah. fire hydrants, right? Godzilla's winning the fight. He's drug Ghidorah under the ocean. This is a place where his electric breath is not going to be as effective. Uh, electricity disperses. Uh, I'm sorry, electricity as a weapon is not great in water. It will disperse very quickly in a body like the ocean. I think Godzilla is Godzilla's winning the fight on the uh, under the water. Godzilla is basically a giant crocodile, and Ghidorah is an Australian man who's gotten too close to the water to fill up his canteen. Um, yeah, yeah. Ambush predator, great work, good job, Godzilla. There should have been a conflict between Monarch and the military. Monarch should have said, no, we've got to let Godzilla finish this fight. Godzilla will stop this and he'll go back to the ocean. He'll chill. He'll hang out with Mothra. Rodan will be his friend. And there should have been that friction. And the military should have... This is a kind of a nice bit of fan service, I'll be honest. When David Stratham, Admiral William Stent says, we've been developing a weapon, the oxygen deprivation weapon, which is from the Godzilla 1954 movie. The Admiral says, we've developed this weapon. We're going to drop it on these two critters and they'll kill him. And this is also a nice little scene where Dr. Mark killing both of them probably isn't a bad idea. That's a that's a perfectly rational position for him to take. Yeah. Terazawa has been working with his creatures. He never left despite tragedy or whatever. He, he's been understanding them a little bit more. That should have been the fight. That should have been the drama. We should have been on the edge of our seat like no! That's where we should have been. It's deployed in the film like oh, well, guess what? We're going to drop a bomb and it's going to kill Godzilla. going to kill the Ghidra. But that should have been a big pivot for us, I think. I, what do you think? I totally agree. I Michael Bay could have done this scene better. Yeah. Michael Bay could have directed this scene I mean, I mean, it, it all would have been over the top. I agree with you. It, it, it's more like just a, a hiccup. Yeah, but that should have been the film for us. Like, don't do that because they drop the bomb. They drop the oxygen weapon on Godzilla and Ghidorah. It hurts Godzilla really badly and Ghidorah yeah. is faced. And that, that should have been a dramatic moment. Oh my God, our kryptonite for Ghidorah is dead. No, you are totally right. And in fact, in watching it, it took me a while to realize, oh, Godzilla's really in trouble because... The, I, I never really felt like this decision by the military was really going to play this big a role because it wasn't built up. No. And, and, and so it was almost like at a certain point, they start talking about how, you know, oh, Godzilla's dying and, and we have to save him. I have to kind of catch up like, oh, oh, wow, th that really was serious. Because now you're quite right in pointing out the, the fan service. I remember that scene from the original Godzilla King of the Monsters with the skeleton. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I remember all of that. So, so yeah, I mean, that was all fan service, but it would have been so much dramatic weight for Monarch to now be like, how do we save Godzilla? Yeah. It almost nails it with Mothra coming to guide them to Godzilla because there's that weird connection that, that Dr. Mark, uh, Russell makes. Russell says, Mothra's here. I mean, they all see Mothra. And this is a terrible effect. I'm sorry. It's fucking <laughs> awful. It's basically like the bright light of an angel. But we don't ever get to see Mothra really shine here. But in this moment, she's uh, bioluminescent. So bioluminescent, in fact, that it's pointless for us as the audience. We have seen films like Avatar. We've seen, we've seen films like Guardians of the Galaxy. We've seen films that use color and texture in such a way as to really almost move an audience member to tears. They could have done Mothra in a way that would have had us quivering in yeah. the street like oh my god it's so beautiful like Avatar I, I mean I got chills and, and I welled up with tears a couple times while watching the movie Avatar James Cameron's Avatar uh, I, I probably also teared up in the animated show Avatar I'm a bit of a weepy guy sometimes when watching it <laughs> 
But this should have been a profound moment for the audience, as it was for Dr. Mark Russell. Seeing Mothra is one of those pivot points for Mark. It's more confirmation for Serzawa, but it's part of Mark's journey, and it's not nailed, because it's just, it's basically like holding up a bright floodlight in the in the film. And they follow the bright floodlight to the location of Godzilla. Take it away, I've babbled, Jason. I've babbled for a bit. Yeah, well... <laughs> Now I gotta uh, complain some more. Yeah, they uh, they go to the location of Godzilla, which is an ancient city that's sunken beneath the sea. Is uh, it Atlantis? Is it supposed to be Atlantis? I don't know because all <laughs> like they don't say anything about it. I will say yes, it is supposed to be Atlantis, but they say why the fuck not? Is, is that Egyptian? Oh no, it's you know it's a combination of all. I mean, whatever they say, but I mean he says he says. <laughs> it's older. It's older than that, yeah. I was like, oh, okay. So where are you going with this? I mean, is this a civilization yeah. that... that uh, it's that, funny. That... If it was just some fucking a pile of Stone Age... <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, okay, they don't follow up on it at all. Like, I was mildly I was mildly intrigued. Like, oh, wonder where they're going to go with this. Oh, nowhere. Because we see some interesting... One of the things that the films have been kind of cool about, I have to give them credit here, is some of the, the ancient cave art. Uh, yeah, ancient yeah. Iconography. Because one of the through lines uh, that uh, Dr. Chin talks about, she seems to be almost... Uh, the actor is Gigi Zhang. She was in, I think, she's in House of Flying Daggers. She's yeah, she is. She's the she's the star of a, a Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. She was Zhang and billed as Zhang Ji. Um, she's a fabulous actress, but in this film, she's basically it's unclear what her discipline is, but she almost seems like an anthropologist because she she understands all the history and all the legends of all of these titans. But anyway, she recognizes this and she she ties a lot of legends together for us. She's the one who figures out that. Ghidorah is not of this earth. Yes. But a wasted character, um, like so many other characters in this film. But anyway, sorry, go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah, so um, and then we come up, uh, upon another scene that actually also also kind of symbolizes what I don't like about the human drama in this movie. There's a, an exchange and actually, I, I think it's around here. Okay. Actually, um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about Sarazawa's, the character of Sarazawa, uh, and how I had remarked earlier in this podcast about how this film kind of fleshes out his motivation a little bit about mm -hmm. how, you know, in, in the first film, he definitely seems to understand Godzilla. But for us, the viewer, you know, he's just kind of going on his instinct. In this, he has an exchange with, with Dr. Russell, I believe, with Mark, yeah. in which there's kind of this, he's kind of developed his own faith. That, that, you know, a lot of this is instinct. A lot of it is a will to believe that Dr. Sarazawa has really chosen to believe that Godzilla is, is the good guy and is the yeah. savior of not only humanity but the whole world the entire all of nature however i liked that exchange i thought that was great well it's a very touching exchange because sarazawa is explaining to mark his idea about godzilla but he's also kind of helping mark navigate his own pain he's, he's, he's a counselor and a scientist in this moment because his mark isn't always thinking clearly because of his anger about his dead son which is totally understandable and almost done well in this film, but but what is nicely done here is how thoughtful Sarazawa is. Sarazawa, Sarazawa looks at his watch. His watch, everybody, is something that his grandpa had, and his grandpa's watch stopped in the bombing of I think Hiroshima. Hiroshima. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mark repeats a line that his son always asks Sarazawa because these parents are awful and they always brought their children to. <laughs> 
He's like, what time is it? And Sarazawa says, uh, time to get a new watch. Because his, his watch doesn't tell time. It stops when Hiroshima was bombed by the big boy or little boy. I don't know which one it was. That crucial cultural moment for a Japanese person motivates Sarazawa a lot. But he carries that watch and it reminds him of, of why he does what he does. It's not really explained very well why that happens, but Sarazawa does seem to be on a crusade of some kind to save the world. It's a nice moment that, that helps Sarah, this moment between Sarazawa and Mark, where Mark gets to remember his son without any pain. Yeah. It allows Sarazawa to say, you know, sometimes we have to make peace with these things that we can't control. Yes. And it's a good moment for these two to have because it's going to be the last moment, one of the last moments that they get to have together. I want to rehearse all of this. Because right. actually, this scene kind of symbolizes some of my problems with the movie. Because I, I agree with everything that you just said. I just kind of stated that I liked what they were doing with Sarazawa in that scene. That we were kind of getting a, a little bit into his into his mind, into his motivation, into what he's chosen to, the will to believe, as I said. Yeah, yeah. Here's the dialogue. There are some things beyond our understanding, Mark. We must accept them, learn from them. Because these moments of crisis are also potential moments of faith. A time when we either come together or fall apart. Nature always has a way of balancing itself. The only question is, what part will we play? Yes. And then Mark says, did you just make that up? No, I read it in a fortune cookie once. Yes. And that, uh they were doing so well. Yes. And when they went there, I delivered the largest eye roll. Yes, yes. That, uh, uh, that you'll now, I, I thought that was Sarazawa trying to kind of deflect a, a little bit of tension and, from, from their conversation. But but I agree. It's it's It was going so well. It was going no. so swimmingly. And so they, you're, you're being too forgiving. I, I think it's dumb. And, and actually, I, I, I've got to say, when it comes to monster movie, I, I have... One rule, yep. just one. Audience, pay attention. When you make a monster movie, you never go full Roland Emmerich. You don't <laughs> do it. I would submit to you that that line just cemented for me that this movie treads that ground a little bit too much in places. There are moments where this movie definitely goes full Roland Emmerich, and when it does, it gets four eye rolls from me. Well, I, you know, I, I have not thought of that, but now that you've mentioned it, I will never be able to unsee the Roland Emmerich <laughs> in this movie. I think that it would have been better to end on Sarazawa's discussions of his basically coming to a faith position on the Titans. It should have ended there, faded to black, and then moved on because that would have been something fun for the audience to chew on until the next scene. But instead, you're right. They do kind of, you know, they do kind of say uh, it does seem like a Roland Emmerich moment. I, I hadn't thought of that. Now I'll barf a little bit in my mouth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I guess I see Sarazawa as almost like a philosopher, mm -hmm. kind kind of plowing ground that no one has ever upturned before. Yeah, yeah. And we finally get this moment where he 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 kind of expresses that it is kind of a faith for him. It's a per, it, it's a faith he's invented. Yeah. It's something that he's chosen to do on his own. There's obviously a lot of evidence that that he's kind of right. Yeah, yeah. I really that exchange really had me kind of riveted. The final line is kind of a cliche 
made line that is nails on a chalkboard to me. I it, it really pissed me off. I don't disagree with that. There's no fault in your reasoning here. And and it goes from there to we've revealed that Atlantis exists and we reveal that Godzilla is in this area of 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 well air pocketing, I guess. But there's 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 some significant radiation being released there and he's kind of refueling. And it's at that point where where Mark makes a lot of like uh Jason would refer to this as a, a stolen base in the narrative. And he says, How many nuclear weapons do you have? And he starts making he, Dr. Mark starts to steal a lot of bases for, throughout the rest of the film. They decide that you know what we need to do? We 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 don't know how long it's gonna take for Godzilla to recuperate. We need him, yeah. we need him up and fighting Ghidorah very quickly. Because what we learn elsewhere is that uh, again, another stolen base by Mark that Ghidorah is directing all of the kaiju or the titans to reshape the planet right. to his liking. And this should have been another big payoff moment and it doesn't really land because this is a moment where we find out that Dr. Emma Russell has fundamentally misunderstood Ghidorah, Monster yeah. Zero. She thought that it was another alpha predator and that these alpha predators were going to basically put humanity in check. But what Ghidorah is, is an extraterrestrial organism. We learn that from an from some of the legends that uh, Dr. Chin has discovered. Ghidra is a, it was first documented, I guess, in the legendary as a creature that fell from the sky that Godzilla had to fight. Now, I like all that. I think that's fine. No, I don't, yeah, disagree, yeah. With I don't disagree with that. But there's no setup for, yes. for Emma Russell's error. Right. You should have been like, we should have had it established like, you know, I understand these animals. I understand the kind of biology of, of ecosystems and yada, yada, yada. Then it should have been a big reveal that some Somebody should have been like, Emma, this creature isn't from Earth. It's directing these creatures to basically terraform Earth. I mean, it's basically the plot from Man of Steel. Ghidorah is the Kryptonians, and Ghidorah is going to turn Earth into Ghidorah land. I don't know what Ghidorah is going to do. Um, <laughs> but that, that that should have been a big moment. It's not a small moment in the film, but there should have been a little more tension when that reveal happens, I think. But back to Mark's stolen bases, I guess. Well, they, they realize that they need to give Godzilla a bunch of nuclear blasts yeah but getting to the site is of course hindered by various plot mechanics that 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 found their way into the submarine they end up going through the hollow earth and landing in atlantis and the the trip was rough and it causes everything that would have made the plot move along a little more smoothly it's everything you hate audience about script writing. They can't remotely deliver the machine. They can't call anybody. They can't do anything. Somebody, somebody's going to have to go in there and set this bomb off. We'll need a noble sacrifice. And it should have been a really great moment because Ken Watanabe, he says, I'll go. He's the priest in this movie. He's yeah, yeah. He's the guy in the Poseidon adventure who says, do what I said. <laughs> Sacrifice. He's Gene Hackman in this moment. He is, you know, I'm Marin. Yeah, exactly. And he's going to take the bomb. And it that that line should have been a little more dramatic. Watanabe does a great job in everything that he has to do after this. But I, I'm a little upset with the script that it didn't give him a bigger moment. I think Doherty deserves some criticism as a director. In that moment, you have to watch it and say, "Does that work?" Yeah. And he didn't. He he didn't do it. He, you could easily say. 
seems flat. You rewrite it in the moment, ad lib, do whatever you need to do to make it work. And yeah. I think I, I think that's something that doesn't happen throughout this film. Yeah, no. Ken Watanabe gets in his little submersible, pilots it to the epicenter where this radiation is just leaking out everywhere and Godzilla's just soaking it up. This is another thing that I think the films need, but they don't quite ever land. The Kong films have a human connection with Kong. Kong interacts with people. Mm. I think that that needs to happen with the Godzilla movies. The way they're I doing them in this film. And and they almost do that here. My son actually thinks that that Godzilla recognizes Ken Watanabe in this moment, uh, Dr. Serizawa. Dr. Serizawa hauls the, as he's dying, he takes the nuclear warhead up. He sets it pretty close to them. Again, this should have been a great touching moment where he's just basically taking off his gear to kind of hang out with Godzilla before his end. Because Godzilla knows, I'm sorry, Serizawa knows it's a one-way trip. As he's approaching Godzilla, Godzilla opens his eyes and he and Ken Watanabe seem to have a moment. Uh, my son is convinced that 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 uh, Godzilla has tears in his eyes a little bit. With uh, I mean, with, I think that I think that's done okay. No, I do. No, I do too. And Watanabe puts his hand on the creature that is Godzilla, and that's all pretty touching. And then there's a white light, and that's it for uh, Serizawa. And very shortly thereafter, Godzilla leaves Atlantis, which is gone, by the way. This <laughs> glorious historical landmark. <laughs> Of, of archaeology and anthropology is vanished. I mean, I get it. It probably needed to happen in this moment of crisis, but God, I hope they kept those pictures that they took. And Godzilla pops up, and, and I think there's some, some stuff from my son's hypothesis because Godzilla approaches the submarine and seems to sniff them all. And I wonder if he's not, this is me working hard for the script here, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Is Godzilla smelling the scent of the person who just saved him? And, and, and Mark. Mark, uh, yeah, this is good. If I recall, Mark is, I think we're seeing Mark kind of recapture his old leadership at this point. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. yeah Mark is telling everybody to kind of be calm and Godzilla seems to focus on him because he's he's the alpha on this ship. Yeah. One, one, one surmises. And I wish that they had done this a little more, with a little more intent, with a little more, mm. uh, maybe obviousness is what I want to say, of Godzilla acknowledging these other beings. That Godzilla is smart enough to acknowledge these other beings who had a hand in saving his life and he does but I, I think they could have gone a little further with that but he leaves and and I think this is where Mark steals his most amazing base I know where he's going and and even everybody in the in the cast is, says what haven't <laughs> you read the script I know where he's going <laughs> And then Mark is in the leadership role. I mean, earlier there's a nice moment too where uh, Serozawa seems to have faith in Mark because he says, here's my notebook yeah. before he goes and and, and dies. I, I like Mark. I don't think that it's set up very well. Yeah. And here's the reason why. Serozawa, we trust his instincts, right? Yeah. As, as the viewer. Serozawa has never abandoned this project. Yeah. Never at, at any point. And he has very good instincts. It's not just his knowledge. Both this film and the previous Godzilla film makes it very clear that Serizawa has a very good kind of nose for Godzilla and, yep. and for these creatures. Mark's been out of action for so long. I think this film needs to work kind of hard to help to make us believe that Mark is actually somebody that Serizawa needs. Yeah, yeah, no, that's right. That's right. Again, I like his character. Mm -hmm. I think, it, and you know, you just mentioned stolen bases. I think that this movie wanted the character of Dr. Mark Russell, played by Kyle Chandler 
to be like the retired FBI agent from Red Dragon. Okay. You know, where he's kind of a natural, but he doesn't really want to be, or, you know, he just wants to get away from it, but he's very good at it and doesn't like it. Yeah. And I don't, it's another thing that this movie doesn't sell, even though I agree with you. I like Kyle Chandler. I, I have no problem with any scene that he is acting in, but there is a bit of a problem that the movie, the script does not sell Dr. Russell as somebody who's more competent or that should be more competent than Sarazawa. No. You see what I'm saying? No, I agree with you completely. And the, But it could have. But it could have done that. It well, I mean, the skeleton is all there. We've written some of it. You know, if they ever want to recut this movie, they can listen to this podcast and... <laughs> And right. wrong. that moves us into I guess firmly into act three doesn't it I know where they're going Austin Massachusetts at this moment Madeline Madison Maddo something or other Madison Millie Bobby Brown MBB has taken matters into her own hands yes she has taken the orca and bled the facility that her mother and the eco-terrorists or her mother is an eco-terrorist she has fled the facility full of eco-terrorists and she is going to draw Ghidorah and the other monsters away from their project of basically erasing earth for humanity or erasing humanity is am I right Am I getting that right? Yeah, yeah. No, no, totally. And and, and uh, she's very clever. She goes to the one place in Boston that no one would ever go. Fenway Park. <laughs> yes, yes. She plugs the orca into the Fenway sound system, which is enough yeah. to bring... <laughs> Ghidorah from halfway around the world to to fight Fenway Park. And I mean this is a very brave act by by, by Madison who who does kind of do a I think I think she has a kind of a nice moment where she calls her mother out. Look, I mean she's really good in this. Yeah, yeah. She's a really good young thespian. I, I, I actually I liked her in every scene that she was in. Oh, I do too. My problem with her, not with her, but with her character, the whole time I'm watching this film, the previews led me to believe that that she was going to to be basically like the twins from ah yeah 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 and i would have really liked for these films to have some weird thing where there were certain humans that could interact with the titans and she could have done that she could have done that that was what i wanted from her like i wanted her for some i wanted her to have some kind of like telepathic connection like the twins from godzilla versus mothra that was the name of the film in which uh Godzilla, I think it was the first film that Godzilla came back from after his uh, yes. being turned yeah. into a skeleton in 1954, covered and fought a giant moth. It was controlled by not dwarves, but I mean like six inch people. I wanted her character, Madison, to have that kind of a connection with Godzilla. Uh, yeah, I hadn't thought of that. I, I could see that because I, I actually, I, I, I did really like her character. I actually want to compare this film now to Godzilla 2014. I think the reason they used Fenway Park is just to let us know that it was Boston. Okay. No, I'm sure you're right. I'm sure you're That's right. That's what I think. I'm yeah. sure you're right. That, in very quick order, brings Ghidorah to Fenway Park, where Ghidorah does do a good job of wrecking it. Uh, and trying to kill Millie Bobby Brown. At the same, before this though, Dr. Emma Russell is like, she basically makes a break with 
the eco-terrorists. The eco-terrorist leader is okay with it. He's like, well, you've given us what we want. That's fine. You can go. I don't really care. He doesn't care if humanity survives. He doesn't care if she does her thing. One of the things I do like about Charles Dance, though, is that he's a little offended that Emma lied to Madison. Because yeah. there's, there's an argument where, in, earlier in the film, where Madison is like, you told us we were going to save everybody. You told us we were going to wake up these monsters one by one. You told us they were going to bring balance. And Charles Dance is like, what a crock of shit your mother told you. <laughs> <laughs> and he's actually kind of curious as to what kind of line of bullshit her mom laid down. Again, another character I wish they'd fleshed out more. Dr. Emma's like, I need to go save my daughter. I don't want to lose another kid. I do kind of like this and that that Charles Dance's character isn't just thoroughly evil. He's just, well, fine, go. I don't really, it's fine. Whatever, bye. No. You, know, you can't save Fenway Park. <laughs> um <laughs> She goes. By this point, the military's decided they're going to try and help Godzilla in this fight, or at least Dr. Mark Russell has decided, no, we're going to, we're not going to let them fight. We're going to join the fight. We're going to link up with Godzilla. There's also some weird bit that, that Dr. Mark figures out another, another one of these bases that he just finds everywhere. He pulls out of the air or he's like, no, my wife figured out her alpha signal isn't a combination of the alphas. It's a combination of Godzilla and human vocalizations. Why does that make any goddamn sense? sense. It would have made more sense if there was some kind of human connection to the Titans. Like some kind of like like some something like the twins connection to the Titans. But they don't delve deep enough into the history of the franchise to go there. Yeah. So it, it's one of the most glaring of the of the of the magical bases that he finds. So anyway, everybody's headed to Fenway Park. Godzilla's back. He's super heated, I guess. Godzilla and Ghidorah have a fight. We learn in the course of this fight, though, thanks to the walking exposition machine, Dr. Rick Stanton. Dr. Rick Stanton, played by Bradley Whitford, has a thankful, thankless job in this film, which is to exposition. He's, he's always telling us what the writing couldn't creatively tell us. Am, am I wrong about that? No, this is this is an example of going full Roland Emmerich. Bradley Whitford is a good actor. No. He's not. He is one of the weaknesses in this film, actually. It's not his fault. <laughs> it is the script. He is an expositor. Yeah, yeah. We learn, though, that Godzilla is overheating or is about to blow. I don't know how you would make that, that determination with this novel <laughs> organism, but... <laughs> If Godzilla is giving off that much radiation, I don't know how Dr. Madison is surviving. And nobody should survive proximity to Godzilla in this. In right, this right. Um, I should have just been like, well, back up and let Godzilla nuke him, you know, from orbit. <laughs> uh, this scene sort of cemented another problem I have with the film. The humans have to help Godzilla out quite a lot in this film. Yeah. He has a little trouble in Antarctica with Ghidorah. He has, uh, he, he, there's a moment, there's one moment where the f humans have a, a legitimate role in saving him and that's after the oxygen deprivation device. Yeah. But when he's supercharged, yeah. you have to save him again at Fenway Park. Yeah. And I thought, that's too much. Now, uh, Godzilla, yeah. Godzilla isn't seeming like the savior that Sarazawa or Dr. Mark Russell or anybody believed him to be. Or or that was set up in their original fight. Yes. When, as you pointed out, that Godzilla was actually going to make pretty quick work of, of Ghidra. Absolutely. Right? And that, yeah. That's exactly right. There's there, there's, a, there's a couple of nice payoffs, though, where, which I think is fair, fair play. Godzilla and Ghidra are fighting, and this is a nice Mothra moment where Mothra comes in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Starts helping Godzilla 
Godzilla out, and that's really cool. She sprays her silk on Godzilla. Earlier, we had some interesting scenes where uh, the soldiers were kind of weirded out by the fact that there seems to be some kind of romance between Godzilla and Mothra. So are they like a thing? That's kind of weird, isn't it? You know, which I kind of thought that was fun. I also kind of like the idea that Godzilla and Mothra have a romance. I don't know why that amuses me, but Mothra and Godzilla are tight, but Ghidorah also has a, a friend after establishing dominance over Rodan, and Rodan and, and Mothra are fighting too. Uh, Ghidorah brings in Rodan to help him out, or yeah. her out. And, and I think this is all pretty good action sequence stuff. But I don't think we should have had in the final act a moment where Godzilla needed to be saved by the humans again. Uh, there's a moment where, audience, there's a moment in the film where Godzilla gets taken really high up into the air by Ghidra and dropped in a scene that was, uh, seemed almost stolen from the film Pacific Rim, one of the Pacific Rims. They all suck. But Godzilla falls from an incredible height and gets uh, and lands on Earth. <laughs> where else would he land I guess but then our heroes have to gin up the fucking orca device again which is broken in another not great action scene of humans running around beneath the monster's feet they have to draw Ghidorah away from Godzilla and I just thought no this is this is dragging in an otherwise great action scene what happens to help Godzilla though is that Mothra basically sacrifices her essence yeah yeah and, and that would have been okay that would have been okay especially like a I don't think you would have needed to put Godzilla on the ropes again to do that. You could have had Godzilla like consoling his dying friend or lover or whatever it is. Like, I don't get it. I don't want to judge. I'm not kink shaming. But consoling his lover and then she could have been like giving her powers to Godzilla. And that could have been a great moment for Godzilla to be like, I'm wrecking all of you motherfuckers. Go beast mode on Ghidorah. Which yeah, he yeah. Up, which he ends up doing. I agree with you because, because of the inconsistency with the earlier action scene that, that we just kind of said. But I think another culprit of what you're talking about is the fact that the human, that all of the human interaction was just so poorly set up. Because yeah. what, what ends up happening is Emma has this conversion experience. And I mean, I mean, I, I don't even want to think about it, but but uh, then, I, I, I don't even want to say that line. No, no, no. But then after Emma's conversion experience, she and Mark are trying to figure out where Madison is gone. All right. She and went then, home. And then they, they grab another one of these magical bases. <laughs> And they're like, she's gone home. And some audience members who might not have been paying attention might have thought San Francisco? <laughs> but no, because they live in Boston. She's somewhere right. at a house in Boston. And they go to Boston, uh, uh, they go to the house in Boston and they find her in a bathtub because she was a student of the Lethal Weapon movie. Uh, Lethal Weapon 2 and she got in the bathtub when her house collapsed. This is another thing that bothered me like like there's a giant monster fight and for some reason the monster fight followed them all the way from Fenway Park to this house. Yeah. Would it have been better if they just driven to the house away from the monster fight? You could cut back to the monster fight you know and then they could have said look Godzilla's oh, superheating he's doing something weird that we haven't seen before let's try to use the orca machine to lead both Godzilla and Gears out of the city. Well, I, I but but I do have to say something nice about this movie, mm. which, I, which I haven't said a lot. But the civic government and the federal government in this movie have definitely mastered the art of evacuating cities they, more than they did in the first movie. 
And I think that's actually a nice little bit of world building, actually, now that you mentioned it. I hadn't thought of it, and I'm glad you brought it up, because they do they do evacuate. Austin's empty. It is. And that makes some sense in a world. I, I would go with, yes. They have evacuation plans if something like this happens. I, I do like that the governments have, like, thought about this. <clears throat> it's, it's, not, it's not a huge component of the film, but it makes sense that it would have happened. Yes, yes. Now, uh, now I, I, I do have a question for you, because you know, maybe. you know Boston. Yeah, you've no, been there. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not great at Boston. I'm, but let's, let's see. Let's see. Let's see, audience. No, no. Okay, but, well, I've never been to Boston, so I'm, I'm, I am relying on you. And uh, if you remember, I think you probably remember, I've already mentioned it, uh, my criticism of the depiction of San Francisco yeah. in terms of the digital effects. Yes. Did it look like Boston to you? Not at all. Right. Now, I would not. Now, I, I'm glad you brought it up because I wouldn't have thought about it. But when you said they set it in Fenway Park because. Yeah. That made total sense to me because it doesn't look like Boston. It's It doesn't okay. look not like Boston, but there are no. This is another wonderful Roland Emmerich talk. Never go full Roland Emmerich. Roland Emmerich isn't always terrible with establishing shots, but the moment, the, the places where he will do an establishing shot is just before he blows up the iconic location in yeah. that location. So, so like in Independence Day, which is an awful movie, audience. Amen. Awful. I will preach it, my brothers and sisters, <laughs> comrades, friends. But he'll only, I mean, he'll only put places that. Uh, that everybody's seen on a postcard. Right. You know, and, and that doesn't do quite as much for me in establishing a location. Uh, but but you don't really see anything that, that that sings out Boston to me in in that film. Just like you didn't see anything that said San Francisco. Yeah. I mean, I mean, oh, there was the Transamerica building, but it didn't look like the Transamerica building. I will say, and, and we might have said this in the last podcast, Skull Island, Kong Skull Island escapes this problem, in my view. But yeah. I do think that Godzilla, King of the monsters repeats the same problem one of the reasons why it's unforgivable okay they picked fenway park we get it there are other landmarks in boston that they could have showed us absolutely right yeah, uh, yeah no I, I think that's totally right i had a thought but the tequila stole it away godzilla uh Ghidra is led away from godzilla mothra comes gives her essence to godzilla and godzilla comes in and, and goes like superheated beast mode on Ghidra, like melts one of the heads wrecks Ghidra. what happens with the humans doesn't doesn't uh, Dr. Emma Russell? She gets killed, right? Well, in 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 the in the climactic human moment of the of the film, she decides to take the orca and lead Ghidorah away, mm -hmm. allowing the monarch team, uh, her ex husband and daughter, time to escape. And she, actually, and she says, "I'll be right behind you. I'll be right behind you." In a better film, that would have been a more powerful line. Well, but but I mean, I. I I do get, you know, Kyle Chandler and Millie Bobby Brown, they emote very well in terms of recognizing that this is it. Yeah. She's she's actually sacrificing herself, which they don't want. Yeah. And they they sell that well. They do. The no, as we've said throughout, audience, the acting in this film is really good. They Even sell it. Bad lines, it is really good. In terms of acting, they sell it. But none of it, none of it has been earned. None of it has been earned. No, no, no. I agree. But go on. Tell, take us through the close of the film. Emma uh, climbs into a, a Jeep oh, or a vehicle. Yep. 
and, and she has the Orca device and she drives away and drives and, and draws Ghidorah away. And, and and then there's the the moment when the line that I that I was referring to when she says, uh, long live the king. Yes. Which, uh, I, in my opinion, another moment where the film goes full Roland Emmerich. Yes. The problem with Emma's character, and, and I, and I, again, I think we're both in agreement. Vera Farmiga does not deserve. I mean, she's very good in the role, but it's a thankless role. I think that the that the script does not serve the character well. And so when she delivers this line, which is supposed to be a kind of a fuck yeah moment for the audience, doesn't work because for most of the film, we think she's stupid. She's more like a heroine from from a slasher movie. Yeah. She's but she's been so fucking stupid through the whole movie that we don't really care if she dies and, and even her sacrifice at this time is not really meaningful because you created all of this well that's, that's right a, that's a problem that i had throughout a lot of the film like i had not seen the film for a while and as i was watching it i was like emma russell has to go to jail or she has to die in this movie yeah, exactly because she is whatever her motivations and she doesn't like as we've established earlier she doesn't justify those very well right but whatever her motivations motivations she is the author of a lot of death in this film that didn't need to happen correct he was willing to let the titans decide now that right. could have been mild sarazawa was a much more cautious believer in the titans yes he didn't want to awaken them unless they wanted he was willing to let them be essentially he wasn't going about he wanted to monitor them. He wanted to study them, but he wasn't going out of his way to awaken them. Right. He trusted them. And in the absence of Monster Zero, that was probably a well-founded trust. It seems. It seems. He wasn't irresponsible. I, was what, I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Emma threw the dice and it could have been death on a, a, a global scale. Think of the people in Mexico. <laughs> absolutely, no, absolutely. No, absolutely. You're absolutely right. And that's why I was like, she has to go to jail or she has to die in this film for me to be satisfied. Yeah, because one of my big worries, uh, and the film demonstrated that it could have that it was lazy enough that it might have happened that she would have skated through like Doctor Frankenstein. Yeah, <laughs> because I don't know how many people. I, it would be interesting. I would. I, I'm sure there's somebody who's done the math. How many people died in Mexico? Oh my God. Well, I mean, I mean, actually, um, look, how many people um, died? I mean, there are a few, a few locations that get destroyed. Oh, well, hold on. Look, the, the legendary monster verse is not afraid of a body count. No, no. In any of these films... San Francisco. San Francisco. Um, I mean, I mean, almost all the soldiers in, on Skull Island. Yes. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I've got to kind of confess, it's kind of surprising to me how willing this series is to rack up a body count. Yeah, it, it does embrace the trauma these kinds of creatures would create if they, were, if, they, if they were unleashed and crazy. I like all of that. I Returning to Emma. Emma has created a situation that is just catastrophically reckless, but she's not like the other guy who didn't care. She's not like Charles Dance, who doesn't care what happens. He doesn't like humans. Right. He doesn't care about his people. He doesn't care about humans. He doesn't care about his eco-terrorists. He thinks that it should be titans and cockroaches. That's it. Yeah, and and, and and I think, you know, we disagree with him, but we respect his conclusion. Oh, my God. He, he's got the better argument than Emma. Yeah. This well, is, she Because he says this is, he doesn't try and guss it up. He doesn't try and create uh, connections where none exists. This is as good as human nature gets, is what he says. He, uh, he, has, he has a legitimate conclusion, 
Emma has not even worked her way through what she really thinks. No. She, she's just reacting, as is Mark. Yep. They're both reacting emotionally about the loss of their son. Yep. And as a result, to me, that makes Emma kind of like a child throwing a tantrum because because her toys were taken away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Mark's tantrum is a lot more respectable because all he does is drink. He withdraws. Yes, yeah. and, and that is more respectable than trying to kill humanity. Now, see, now we're ganging up on, on Emma here. And I've caused Jason to have to defend the mad scientist of the film. No, 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 no. Okay, but I mean, our criticisms are quite just, but a better script would have made us resent her but understand her. And I do not, I do not think we understand her. I've thought that since you, since you brought it up earlier, a better script would have made her a more compelling character. Tell us what happens. How does Godzilla destroy, to give Ghidra his comeuppance? Uh, well, I mean, um, he kills him. And he kills Ghidra. There's a head left. Yada, yada, yada. Godzilla wins. Gives a big roar. Kind of cool. Kind of cinematic. Did you like a lot of the fight elements between Godzilla and Ghidra? I want to qualify my answer here because like it looked okay. Okay, it was not as good as the material in the first Godzilla film. I agree. I, I agree. And it, it needed to be at least that good. Yeah. I like a lot of it. In a film like this, to justify a sequel, these moments have to be bigger and better. I, I, I agree. Now, I think the fight was fine. My, my problem with it is that, and with all my criticisms or all of our criticisms, everything that we said about uh, Gareth Edwards' film, one of the things that visually that Gareth Edwards did nail was the kind of awe-inspiring visual element of this massive creature in a large city. I explained what my criticism was. It didn't look like San Francisco, and most people complained about the fact that the, you know, the fights were just kind of like almost to the side, like they weren't front and center, fine. But it did seem like the scale of this creature and what it would look like to your visual system yeah. was something that was captured on screen. This movie captures that at times. There's a moment that, that comes to mind where Godzilla kind of makes kind of a lunging charge through the ruins of Boston, where I was very conscious that it, it didn't... It's not that it looked bad, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, it failed, but it failed to fill me with the same awe and, dare I say, terror yeah that i think edwards kind of kind of landed yeah, in the yeah. first film well you know what i mean I, I think that that might be right to the credits you said do you want to touch on the credits? yeah you've talked about stolen bases I, I i kind of feel like that the credits kind of do a little too much narrative work okay be, because they begin because uh, so the credits give us this new world where the titans are now apparently living uh, amongst us and their mere presence ha has indeed restored Stored balanced to to the natural order, and uh, oh, there's a new Mothra egg that has been found. And I don't; th those ideas are good, mm -hmm. but I feel like that the credits are kind of symbolic of the whole move. Just uh, yeah, balance, balance. Uh, Everything's good. Uh, have a good night. We'll we'll be here to take your money for the next film. Right, right, and 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 it's like, look, you know, the story you wanted to tell was a good one, and even even the 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 epilogue for, for your credits mm -hmm. was a good story. But you can't do that to us. You can't just oh oh, and by the way, um um, everything's in balance now. Good night. 
You can't do that. And I think that that's what this film does. It's, you know, we're going to give you big monsters. We're going to give you big action scenes. We're going to give you this great musical score. But uh, yeah, don't worry about the story. We'll just kind of toss that your way and you do with it what you want. That that irritated me. No, and 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 it should. It should irritate you. Um, as I said in the beginning, we in the audience shouldn't be doing the writing for the for the movie. Yeah, that that, um, that, that was my problem. Yeah, it seems like I, I don't know if it's leaning on nostalgia, but it is leaning on the spectacle of the monsters, and it is leaning on our desire in the audience to see a good giant monster movie. Yeah, I, I have to give uh, Doherty a hard time, the director, um, because it just seems like he took the easy way. They they took the easy way out writing this movie. Yeah, people want to see these monsters. We don't have to give them a great script. Yeah, and, that's my yeah, and and that's sort of already bleeding into the verdict a little bit. The, There's an after the, credit scene. Oh God. Which, look, I hope they refer to this again, because if, if they never refer to this again, then it will be a shameless attempt to copy uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe in giving the audience something to look forward to. So what we see... Audience, audience, should we tell Jason? Or should we wait till the next film? Uh, all right. Yeah, okay, audience, I have not seen the next film. So, uh, okay, I, I'll be nice. I'll just report what happens. The eco-terrorist, former MI6, James Bond, British Army SAS. My God, what a guy, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, uh, Christopher, uh, it's Christopher Lee, everybody. That's it <laughs> uh, Alan Jonah, the, the, the pseudo-villain of the film, is basically trying to uh, obtain the severed Ghidra head that Godzilla had torn off. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess he's going to use that uh, in a future film. Yes. We shall um, see. And, and that's the after credit scene. But that does take us to the end of the film. Oh, Oh, no, one more thing. One more thing. I've stepped on Jason's toes. You have not, but uh, you just, um, there is something else that we need to talk about. Uh, I just, I look, we both praised the score. What do you think of the ending credits song? I don't even remember it. For good reason. (laughs) It irritated the shit out of me. I didn't like it. What is it? What is it? Is it, is it, is it, uh, is it? Godzilla! Like it's, um, oh um, God. I I would have preferred, I would have preferred the song for the 1960s. 78 Godzilla cartoon that was created by Hanna-Barbera. I did not like closing song. It, it actually enhanced my irritation at some of the more negative aspects of the film. And So so the song Jason's referring to, I think was kind of a pop song from the 70s, am I right? From the cartoon, yes, but I would have preferred they used that. Yeah. This is... So, this, this, is, this, is, this is another... This is a kind of a pop song, too. I'll try and cut it in if I'm but I don't care about this film enough to really do right. a lot more than just talk about it here. Um, uh, but it was like a, 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 a song that you would hear on the radio that was played ironically, I think. That, uh, but I'm, I'm with you. I would have preferred the Hanna-Barbera, even if, <laughs> even if they closed with Engadzuki. <laughs> oh, oh, you know, that's something I didn't mention, though. For listeners who don't remember, maybe you're too young, Max remembers, Hanna-Barbera made a Godzilla cartoon approved by Toho. Uh, in the late 70s. It didn't last very long. You were talking about fan service. Yep. This movie channels that a little bit because in the cartoon, uh, the whole point of the cartoon, there's this group of scientists on this yacht that, that travels for some reason to different places to do their research. And the captain of the of the yacht has an, uh, God 
Godzuki, the son of Godzilla, is kind of he lives on the yacht with the uh, he's friends as, with the little as you do, as you do, right? And the captain of the ship, who looks a lot like uh, Maximilian Shell, has this little handheld device with a big red button, and whenever they're in trouble, he goes. He hits it, and then there's this frothing in the ocean, and Godzilla shows up and fucks up who whoever's fucking with the people on on the on the yacht. Yes, and I loved this cartoon as a child, and it occurred to me, my God, that button this, is the orca. Yes, yes, Maximilian Shell in the cartoon. Like, so this movie, to a certain extent, I don't know if it's the case, but I think there's a little fan. Dare I say, there's some fan service to the Hanna Barbera cartoon why didn't they lean into that because godzilla <laughs> in the hanna barbera cartoon is a, is 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 some it's is almost like a dog godzilla's almost like a pet to these to these people he, he interacts one, with them the way that you were talking about exactly the godzilla films need this because i mean that that's the that's the thing that makes the kong films compelling and it's the thing that made that cartoon silly as it was fun yeah you know uh, I, I i i liked it i mean i, I mean actually, actually I, I've never forgotten the theme song since my oh oh if the credits if the credits had started off uh, uh, if the ending credits of this film had had said up from the depths 30 stories high I would have been I would have been in heaven I would have been so happy <laughs> well and wouldn't that have been so much better if they had really leaned into that kind of a story yeah and yeah. then and and tried to be subtle about it but then given us their hand with that song at the end but they didn't do that and the verdict for me godzilla king of the monsters is a story of missed opportunity there are some great kaiju scenes some great giant monster scenes again one of the things we see with a lot of the the godzilla films is there's a tendency to not really know how to handle humans in the stories if you're a completist i mean i, I mean i guess i would say if you like big monster movies see godzilla king of the monsters it has some good moments it's not going to be something that's on your repeat list I don't think. That's my verdict. It's a pretty lukewarm verdict, I think. Jason. My verdict will probably... <sighs> My verdict will be even less than that. Now, that being said, I, I think I probably will watch this again just because I do like the series. But I I actually almost see this film as terrible. Uh, a lot of the criticisms that we have discussed were so disgusting to me that it almost ruined the film. Listeners who, who listened to our uh, podcast about Godzilla 2014 will recall that, that, that Max and I kind of struggled about recommending it. We kind of did, you know, that, you know, that if you do, like monster films at all you should watch this movie I don't think I would say this about this movie because uh, it has certain virtues to it but I think it, it delivers far less than the Toho films from generations ago because those films at least gave you what you wanted yes and this film does not give you what you want because this film has a very good idea I think that it has a very good idea for the human drama which uh, Michael Doherty the director said that he wanted so he wanted the right thing the execution just falls flat and I actually would say the score raises it a notch above terrible for me I would not recommend this movie as Max said if you're a completist if you love Godzilla if you like this series like the two of us you will watch it again if you're just curious if you're monster curious 
stay away. No, I think I have to agree with that. I have to, I have to, uh, um, but I have to, in, in, in interest of full disclosure here, I have a lot of trouble not being able to even lukewarmly recommend a Godzilla film because I am a Godzilla guy. It's a clear bias. It's a clear bias that I have. And but so, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. But so audience, when I say, yeah, maybe see it, listen to this podcast closely and decide where you align uh, on whose verdict you're going to accept here before picking a film out on a Friday night or a Saturday night. You've listened to Jason and I enough to know I might I might lean towards Jason on this one, you know. I just <laughs> just just be cautious on it. <laughs> That's what I want you to. That's what I want you to take away from what I'm saying here. I am a Godzilla guy, and uh, that's true. And so I'm not trustworthy on these films. But uh, but that's the verdict, guys. Um, Jason, what are we tackling next? Well, next we are going to tackle, I think, our first contemporary, as in in currently in theaters film. Yep. We are going to uh, tackle the next uh, film in the legendary monster verse, which is Godzilla versus Kong. Yes. Some of you guys have seen it. I saw it on HBO when it came out. Uh, I've not seen it yet. And uh, Jason is in for a wonderful cinematic masterpiece of a ride. Not is, there as is there sarcasm there? No. No. <laughs> not at all. Well, that's the verdict, guys. Share us on social media. Share us with your friends. Email us to your family. Text us to your family with your messenger apps. Uh, share us as promiscuously and as widely as possible without protection. That's it guys <laughs> I've crippled Jason with his silent laughter again night night from the depths 30 stories high this film does not make that mistake